Hey, it's Che Diaz. <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, I'm Shannon. <laughs> and I'm Emma or Miranda's backpack. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back to We're Sorry We Can't Don't Hate Us. I'm sorry I can't don't hate me. The motherfucker's concise. I revealed too much too soon. I was emotionally slutty. Okay, I'm a big whore. We have a stiff breeze. I'll give you a hundred dollars if you say something bitchy about someone we know. That's bullshit, there is So, Emma, we've both watched And Just Like That, which we'll be talking about today. And it kind of like goes in a bit of a different direction than the series because we don't really hear too much of Carrie's like overarching narrative but we get her chiming in at the very last like 11th hour of the episode and she just says and just like that blank (laughs) so my question (laughs) for you is if your week was like an episode of and just like that how would Carrie narrate the ending so mine would be and just like that I fell asleep And not only just for the week, just like my whole life. (laughs) And just like that, I fell asleep. What would yours be? (laughs) I mean, I'm very jealous of that. I've always had a lot of difficulty with sleeping. So I'm very, very jealous. (laughs) Um, Yeah, mine would be, and just like that, I'm less depressed by the sun setting later. Um, Yeah, just feels a little bit lighter. (laughs) It's actually pretty incredible what a difference it makes of a sun setting at 4 versus 5.30. It makes a huge difference. I feel like I'm not living in a dark, sad cave. I feel like there's things to do. There's a world to explore, you know, after 4 p.m. <laughs> oh my gosh, 100%. And it's it's only... February, early February, when we're recording this, and I'm already planning my summer activities. You're already planning your summer activities? Oh my goodness, you're you're on the ball. What do you have planned so far? <laughs> um, might do a music festival, might definitely go camping, um, actually visiting Montreal, but that's more of a fall activity. But yeah, what about you? I guess you probably haven't started planning yet like me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm definitely, I'm not that far ahead, but yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to summer, whatever mixed bag that'll bring. (laughs) It's always a mixed bag these past few years. Well, we're gathered here today. (laughs) (laughs) Dearly beloved. (laughs) Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today. Um, to talk about this, the first season, hopefully one season of many, of and just like that, um, yeah, it just finished airing. So we're going to be spending some time recapping all of our thoughts, going through the episodes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm also excited. So Shannon and I watched the first. Well, of course, we've watched the whole series, the whole season so far, but we watched the first four episodes together, took some notes. We had some fun little virtual Zoom calls or Discord calls. Either way, it doesn't matter. But but where we were muted and furiously typing notes 
on our shared Google Doc. <laughs> Throwing some jokes in there, asking each other questions. So Shannon has graciously put together a sort of um, our top points, I would say. Yeah, just some some things that kind of like stuck out to us and things that we've also just talked about, you know, kind of um, in passing over the past couple of months as this was airing. So it'll be, yeah, I'm excited to to talk about them. And I'm really excited too, because really, as we, as we have talked about this, um, this kind of brings us full circle to almost a year ago when we were both brought together by the recent announcement of, and just like that, filming and becoming a series. So that was over a year ago that we started talking about doing a podcast and now it's aired and we can talk about it. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, for, for today, we're going to do a slightly different format than usual. So as Emma said, we're going to be talking about the first half of And Just Like That. So we're going to cover the first five episodes. And instead of kind of jumping across time and space, as we typically do, we're going to go through each episode chronologically. So it'll be a little bit easier to follow if that's still fresh in your mind. And then we'll continue, of course, with the last five episodes um, in a different episode. But yeah, should we should we get into it, Emma? Yeah, let's get into it. So what are your overall thoughts on the series? Yeah, so overall, I really enjoyed it. And I just, I hold this series in comparison to the movies, because how, how could one not? And I just think it's such a, a far better continuation of the characters and the stories. It really captures as well this current time that we're living in, in a very interesting and perhaps kind of dark way. I was actually thinking about that of how the first series captured such a specific moment in time. And it's so, it's so hard to compare the original series to, and just like that, because, you know, I mean, there's at least 20 years of separation, but the the world has just shifted so much and there's, it, it's so, it's so different. So I think it kind of captures where we are right now in a really interesting way. Um, yeah. And I thought that there was some like narrative and tonal issues. Uh, <laughs> it seemed like there's like a struggle to find consistency between, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? And there's like a lot of whiplash with character storylines and just inconsistencies. But overall, I still really enjoy it. Uh, I loved it. I was uncomfortable. I was screaming with laughter, joy, and horror, and cringe. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, I really enjoyed it, and I hope they have a second season go forward. Perhaps that'll be announced in the future, hopefully. <laughs> what did you think, Emma? What were your overall thoughts? Um, my overall thoughts. I think I mostly echo your sentiments. Um, I really enjoy seeing the characters on screen. And I, I think, yes, I am here. I'm kind of here for the cringe. Um, I think they're sort of navigating these waters in a way that maybe there were a few missteps. However, I think overall the series does do a good job of addressing the time and, um, and those sort of moments and yeah, where the world is now. Um, especially in comparison to the original, but overall, I'm really happy with it. I, I think it's really interesting. 
And I, I really enjoy watching. At first I was kind of like, oh, are they just pretending COVID doesn't exist anymore? Which of course it certainly does um, and is certainly still a huge problem. Um, but I am kind of enjoying, and we've talked about the sort of escapism from reality that we love about the original series. And I am kind of enjoying watching something that takes place in this like post COVID world where they can still kind of like refer back to it um, as a huge worldwide event that has happened. And, and I sort of appreciate that escapism a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like what a in this series actually premiered right before a fresh hot wave, hot fellad wave of <laughs> right before um a fresh new wave of COVID hit. So it was just kind of nice to imagine what it actually would be like to feel safe and comfy navigating the world without always having to wear a mask without having to constantly sanitize your hands and not being afraid to be in you know spaces with a bunch of people or you know just not having to think about that as much I I, I totally agree it was just such a it was very refreshing especially given how reality actually happened (laughs) yeah and I mean, we'll get into it, but I, like I said earlier, like I have really enjoyed the characters. Like I feel like they are overall so true to themselves and, and they feel like themselves. And of course, like things are different, but things will be different from your early thirties dating to your early fifties, um, husband dying years. So, (laughs) so I can appreciate that sort of um, that those changes. And I sort of noticed this theme throughout, especially the first five episodes is sort of like accepting, um, change or questioning it. Um, but we'll get into that eventually. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even just, holding yeah like I said holding this show in comparison to the original series like even that is having to process change for the audience like having to process these characters have grown and evolved and a lot of stuff has happened in the last 20 years and in some of the criticism and just overall discussion I've seen of this show there was a lot of that like a lot of just direct comparison and I think uh, discomfort maybe at it being so different and having so much change from the original series. So Mm -hmm. yeah, both audience and characters, everyone, everyone is changing changes, (laughs) a theme, a theme for the ages. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's definitely what I heard too. Like people sort of like friends were saying, Oh, it's lost some of the fun. Um, of the original series but I love what you say like it's a completely new it's a new series with the same characters like of course things are going to change and I can see why that might have lost some of its comfort for viewers but um, like I said I've sort of been like enjoying the characters and I think they're really coming into themselves the main Mm -hmm. characters at least Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I completely agree. 
let's start. Let's talk about the first episode. Hello, it's me. Yeah. So we get the first brunch back with the girls. Um, we get Bitsy Von Muffling. Yes. We stand. I love Bitsy Von Muffling. Um, and of course, a huge um, sore point with fans was, of course, Samantha's absence. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of interesting. They, I mean, they really didn't take a lot of time immediately, like addressing it. They immediately addressed it, right? As we see Betsy Von Muffling, which was super, super fun to see a, a smaller character from the original show come back. That was really great. But they did kind of this fake out where they kind of alluded to Samantha having died. <laughs> and then in the show, it was like, no, 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 like she's alive. She's just not here. She's in London. And yeah, they just immediately address that. She's, she's obviously not here. There's a, a big pink elephant in the room or not in the room, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> in a different room and on a different continent. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, Samantha's absence I I think it makes a lot of sense how they explained it in that there is a tiff between Samantha and Carrie. Carrie hires Samantha as her publicist. There's a bit of a falling out there and disagreement. Carrie has to fire her. And then there's this huge rift between them. And I, I really believe that that's a thing that could happen to to any group of friends, of course, but especially between Samantha and Carrie, because throughout the show, we saw little hints too that just some sometimes their values kind of clashed. And we saw some judgment from Carrie onto Samantha. I it's escaping me if that happened, vice versa. But still there is there's those points of tension. So I totally believe that this could happen. And I think it's a really smart way to explain Samantha's absence. What do you think? I totally agree. And I, I actually kind of love the the sort of alluding to her being dead. And I kind of feel like that's a little bit of like a, I don't know, because <laughs> of course fans were like talking about and just like that and, and taking their guesses, but what they're going to write off Samantha. And I think fans were like, oh my God, I hope that she's not dead or whatever. So I kind of liked that. I, I felt like, especially with the character of Bitsy Von Muffling, I felt like it was sort of a campy way to address that, the fan's concern. <laughs> um, but yeah, everything you said, I think that it makes sense. And I think that with <laughs> the ongoing theme of change and struggle and things, you know, it does, you, you have these, this belief that things might stay the same forever and ever. And that's just like simply not the truth. But yeah, I, I think overall they did. I love the story with Samantha. I also think it's totally believable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it is sad. And I know like we've talked about this, we've acknowledged this. Samantha was just such a huge part of that core group of women. And it really, it really, I felt her absence and you kind of feel her absence throughout the entire series. And I think they, they do a fine job of trying to, to supplement that with, with new characters and inviting like um, familiar characters into the fold with brunch. Like we'll, we'll talk about in, in a couple of minutes, but um, 
yeah, it's it it definitely is a felt absence, but I understand it in the context of the show and I'm I'm happy that she's not dead. I'm happy that there's still a future, whether it's on or off screen, where she might be reunited with all of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like it, too, because it's like they have addressed that sort of pain of losing a friend or having a fight with a friend. And, you know, we've talked in <laughs> we talk all the time about how in the show, like friendships are so important. And and that truly is for me, like one of the top themes of the show. And I think that it's really great that we see Carrie kind of like, you know, double texting and looking at her phone and, you know, you feel that absence as a fan, but you also feel that absence, like as a friend, as when stuff like that happens, it's, it's truly heartbreaking. And I think that that doesn't usually get as much airtime as of course, like relationship or partnered breakups. So I I appreciate that we feel that absence, but it's also acknowledged from both a fan and friend perspective, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it that totally makes sense. And that's just a really painful part of friendship relationships that isn't always talked about. Like even just sometimes you grow apart, right? Like nothing terrible has to happen, but sometimes your your values and where you're at in life just shifts and so does the friendship and it changes and yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. sad, but I guess changes is probably going to be like the <laughs> major theme for, for the series and what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But we have, of course, been introduced to a few new characters, which um, of course there are a lot of opinions on, but let's start with the first one we meet, Lisa Todd Wexley. I fucking love Lisa Todd Wexley, <laughs> LTW. I'm fucking here for her. She is fabulous and nothing less. I love her. <laughs> right off the bat, how do you how do you feel meeting her right away? I I like her a lot. I don't know if I'm ready to say love yet, but I do really like her and I enjoy her and I want to see more of her. Um, I have felt, and maybe this is just in the first five episodes, which we recently watched, she has felt very much like a prop to me for Charlotte. Like I, which I, yeah, like I said, I like her, but like, I need to get to know her a little bit better. And I would like a little bit more substantial plot lines with her. That was just my opinion. I she, I wasn't wooed right away because I think I just need to get to know her. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super fair. And I, yeah, I so agree. Every time she's on screen, every time she has a scene with Charlotte, it always feels just a little bit too short. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, in, in future episodes where she does have just like a hair bit more of a storyline, like it's still, it always leaves me wanting more. Like I want more of her and I want her character to be fleshed out and have that room to grow. And and one thing I do kind of like about the introduction of all the characters is that it really provides a lot of opportunity to take different stories in the future. Like a lot of them very much are just kind of proppy and, and there for the main characters. A lot of them aren't really given that room to, to grow and be fully explored in this particular series. But there's like, there's so many hints of what could be, which 
we we learn of course throughout the series we learn more about these characters and that that kind of makes me excited there is the opportunity for for more better greater storylines with them yeah i totally agree and it totally makes sense for them to have friends i think that when you have friends for so long those of course remain your like or they can remain your core and like strongest friendships but like it makes sense that Charlotte would have another mom friend because of like, how can she relate to Miranda who doesn't seem to even want to be a mom anymore and Carrie who doesn't have kids. Like, like you said, like people grow apart and lifestyles change. And, and it, I think it makes perfect sense that Charlotte would have the Lisa Todd Wexley, like, mm-hmm. and she is, so charming she's such a good foil to charlotte or not even a foil really like they're they're so similar and i i i really would love to see more of her and i hope and we kind of talked about this but i hope that season two is greenlit um because we'd love to see that sort of explored a bit more yeah totally agreed well, in in this first episode, we also see Big and Carrie are happily married. They're living together. Apparently, Carrie has learned to cook during the pandemic. <laughs> I had a very, a very sweet reference to Carrie keeping sweaters in the stove, which was from the original series. I, I really appreciate when they have those little subtle nods to the original show. It just really feels like those are Easter eggs for for fans to pick up on. And also it just feels like you're referencing your source material. Like this isn't a completely new universe. Like there are some of those, those touch points to what we know as familiar and what we were so used to after watching hundreds of times. But yeah. yes, Carrie has learned to cook. <laughs> I, I do love the little scene where she goes to put on the record for big and how they started their little ritual during the pandemic of listening to all the records in alphabetical order. Um, I like that. Cause that, I feel like we were, <laughs> I mean, we talk about, and they always talk about like how happy she and big were. It was their happiest years or, you know, that was their best time. But I feel like so much of that is off screen, like we kind of talked about. And um, and that was one moment that I was like, that's that's like a cute, believable couple that is in love and happy would do. Um, so I appreciated that moment. I kind of wish there were more of those moments. Um, I loved, like, for example, uh, I guess this is kind of getting into the second episode, but when Susan Sharon says, like, doesn't anyone remember, like, how much of a dick he was to her? Because <laughs> it's like... It, it's sort of like acknowledging like, okay, they weren't always happy like this. They've been through a ton of strife. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I guess I didn't fully believe like these were our happiest years, even though they kept saying it. It's like, show me, don't tell me, you know? I completely agree. Yes. We're just so we're starved for any kind of healthy portrayal of the big and carry relationship because we we just see them broken up so much more like that. I mean, that serves a more interesting storyline. So that makes sense. But yeah, it's a bit jarring to to jump back into the show and then 
they're they're really trying to tell us that oh they're so happy like you know nothing nothing else is happening like they're so together they're meant to be they're so they're perfect for each other but yeah as a as a person watching like i i find that really hard to believe and it's really hard for me to to feel as emotionally invested in that relationship versus Miranda and Steve which we do see we do see a lot of happiness between them or even um Harry and Charlotte are, are an even better example. Like we see a lot of that happiness and um, that that good sense of like matching together and um, yeah, being like really compatible, being really compatible for for one another. That's true, but I guess they did have more time to show us that over ten episodes rather than one. But yeah, I totally know what you mean. You really believe that. Charlotte and Harry I I even thinking of the moment where he like she's on the phone talking to Carrie and Harry comes in is just like has the longest pee I've ever heard in my life (laughs) and he and she's like can't you do that elsewhere and he's like I think I have the right away but it's just kind of like it's kind of like a gross moment but also like a cute portrayal of like a real couple that's comfortable with each other and trying to be the best parents they can be and just kind of like going through it together, which I feel like we never, we never got that with Carrie and Big in the original mm-hmm. series and in what they could do with the first episode. Like I, I still have a hard time believing like, oh, it was the happiest they'd ever been. Like, I don't know. Little corny, if you ask me. I completely agree. It's more interesting to to explore Carrie's life outside of Big. It seems maybe yeah. a bit boring. <laughs> um, really? But speaking of that, Carrie does have a life outside of big because Carrie is into podcasting now. So she's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of fitting given <laughs> podcasts now. <laughs> oh, I think it's so fitting. Um, I think it makes perfect sense that her career would transition to a podcast that she, how she got onto this podcast like, I kind of get it, but also, like, I don't know. Of course, we have to talk about Che Diaz. <laughs> yes, yes. So we, we meet Che Diaz, uh, one of the standout characters of, of the series. And we also meet a couple of satellite characters. We meet Jackie, um, who's also a podcast host. And we meet the Hot Pod producer, who doesn't say much, but... Perhaps he will. <laughs> I, gu- I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I the the X Y and Me podcast. Who's listening to this? <laughs> not me. Gotta say, <laughs> does not seem that enjoyable. There's a lot of like really interesting questions around this podcast and. A theory that I've heard and I tend to kind of agree with is that the writers don't know what it's like to do a podcast, <laughs> like at all. Uh, yeah, I don't know who's listening to this. I don't know who the audience is for this. Also, where are they recording? Because this seems like an NPR kind of studio. Like, what is it? And then also, what do you talk about? Like, what between Che, G- Jackie, and... Carrie, what is the discussion there? I'm so, 
I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, I totally know what you're saying. Like the high production, the studio, like it's, but it seems like the, the writing or the structure, the script, I don't know, maybe it's because we're very like script people and like focus. And I mean, I'm not to say that we're experts or anything on podcasting, of course, but it does seem pretty unrealistic. And I love the theory that the writers of the show don't really know what it's like to make a podcast, which makes sense. I think it makes sense that Carrie would somehow get into podcasting, but this does seem a little misplaced for me. Um, yeah, the topics, like, I don't get what they are. And also, why doesn't Carrie get a, like, she's completely not set up at all. Like, she has no idea what they're going to ask her. And then, of course, she's a little, like, confused or does not sure how to respond. It seems like for a podcast that asks, like, such personal questions or if it even asks personal questions but talks about such, you know, progressive things, but they don't really set up Carrie for success. Like, they don't really set up their guest. I guess Carrie's not technically a guest. I suppose she's a regular host. But they just, like... She seems really taken aback by everything. And I feel like if you're doing something like that, you should know what you're getting into. She, it just doesn't seem like her place. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, something I hadn't really considered before, but you just made me think of is like, is she new to this? Like, is this her first time being on this podcast because you would think if it's the kind of structure where they don't rely on a script and it's more kind of ad libby and i get that che is apparently a comedian who throws comedy concerts so maybe it's a little more like off the cuff that's fine but you would think that you would have established some sort of a connection or chemistry with the other people that you're riffing off of or, or that you're volleying with, right? Like it just kind of seems like she's there and she doesn't know how to interact with either of these people. And yeah, like you said, she's just really not set up for success. It feels very confusing <laughs> that way. Yeah. I just, I just wonder I don't know. I just wonder who's listening to that. <laughs> Maybe like original Carrie fans who will just follow Carrie like to anything or like Chase fans or whoever might be a fan of Jackie. I don't know, but it, <laughs> it seems very like celebrity makes a podcast so it gets listens, um, but there's no actual real thought into the structure I don't know maybe I maybe I'm being too critical but it it just seems a little misplaced for me yeah I we, we kind of get like a little taste of this in the first scene at brunch but Carrie's kind of she's got multiple phones and she's documenting like street style for I'm assuming an Instagram account she might have might have mentioned that but I I would just really love to see her dive into that as kind of a revenue stream or like a hobby stream, like be kind of like a street style uh, documentarian, as it were, like this artorialist in New York City, I believe, like was really, really famous for for doing that and just like taking pictures of people and their like cool outfits. And I would love for Carrie to to also have some of that play in. It just it feels a little she feels a little misplaced on 
this podcast. And also, if that's her only stream of income, I'm... <laughs> Questioning. Uh, yeah. What, what are your ad buys? How much of your soul did you sell the Casper mattress? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love what you said. That totally makes sense that she would be like an Instagram, like outfit documenter. And even like, I could 100% that fits. I could see her as an Instagram fashion, New York influencer. Right. Like, and even if she had a podcast that paired with that, that would be super cool. I would, I would listen to the fuck out of that. That sounds amazing. We have the longest elevator ride ever between Che and Carrie. Oh my God. Step your pussy up. (laughs) It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. That's yeah. If Che is your boss, like cornering you in the elevator, telling you to step your pussy up and also smoking a ton of weed in front of you, kind of with you, that feels... Mm. <laughs> it feels like a boundary cross. It doesn't feel like a healthy work environment. <laughs> no. No, it does not. But Carrie Carrie is told to quote unquote step her pussy up because she's not really giving a lot for the podcast. So this kind of this inspires her, maybe in later episodes. (laughs) I think it's the drugs that inspire her to tell the first story that they really get into. Yeah. Like it's, that's so it's what's weird for me is that Carrie is such a prude talking. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that word, but um, Carrie is a little reserved in how she talks about sexuality and specifically like her stories of sexuality, which seems quite strange because she had a whole career writing a column about it. So like, why, why now that all of those things happened and all of those things you wrote about them, like if we are to assume what we saw on the show, sex in the city made it into Carrie's column every week about all of the, all of her friends, everything that was happening, then we might've already read about Samantha yanking Carrie's diaphragm out. Like, so all of those stories are there. I get the sense that Carrie is also kind of like Mike shy and doesn't, want to talk about it in a really direct confrontational way. She wants to dress it up with like witticisms and teehees and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, like the drugs just, you know, remove that, that second guessing of yourself maybe. And uh, yeah, after she gets her, her hip surgery, um, she just lets it, lets it loose and lets out some interesting stories from the vault. Mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely something to be said about being more uh, open. Like, I definitely find it a lot easier to write down my feelings or to be more blunt or honest in a text message or, you know, like writing a message or, I mean, I'm not a writer myself, but, <laughs> you know, there is something to be said. There is that discrepancy between being attacked a little bit by Che Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> And like, you know, sitting at home in your underwear, like smoking a cigarette and like writing down your, your thoughts from the week. So I can totally appreciate that, um, 
And they, they do kind of address that. Like Che does say to Carrie, like, you're the OG, like you wrote Sex in the City. And I think there's also going back to that theme of change. I think Carrie, you know, she has this relationship, this happy, the happiest ever part of her relationship with Big. And maybe she's settled a bit and maybe she sort of has become this like, you know, not lost herself because I do feel like she is herself, but she's sort of like lost who she was in her early thirties, which is fair. <laughs> yeah, sure. I really like that point. Cause you know, you're, you're absolutely correct. If you've been, you know, in a pretty stable, like happy, seemingly relationship for so many years, then you're, you're not necessarily bringing up all of your sorted stories of New York City dating on the daily, right? Like that just kind of becomes something that was a, a chapter, a book, a book in a past volume of life um, that you don't necessarily access all the time. But yeah, I really appreciate that point. Carrie maybe has changed and become a little, little more reserved about how she talks about sexuality because she doesn't, she doesn't need to, or at least she did before she signed up to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, the scene where she asks Big to masturbate for her, I, uh, it's so weird. It's, it's just Can like, we, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Carrie wanting to watch Big masturbate. Like, like <laughs> this is Carrie's idea of the spiciest thing she could do, which is, I, I don't know. I, like, it, I don't even know what to think. I found that scene very uncomfortable, as I'm sure many others did as well. Yeah, like, it was really uncomfortable because Carrie was kind of watching in a voyeuristic way. And then, like, Big was just like, oh, okay. Like, just not totally not prepared for it. The setup felt, like, really, really uncomfortable to watch. But at the same time, I've I've heard a lot of criticism of that scene. And I wonder if some of it also comes back to yeah I think that that kind of relates back to this maybe like really embedded idea that we can't it's really uncomfortable for us to see older people having sex and being sexual and having full sexual lives and identities so I wonder yeah if just like some of that revulsion or discomfort or cringe. And I've seen a lot of people react that way to that scene in particular. And I wonder if some of that is, it goes deeper. (laughs) I couldn't help but wonder. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. I mean, the discourse around older people being on television, especially older women, you kind of there is sort of this like repulsion or something against it, but you're, you're absolutely right. And we see it with, of course, Miranda too. Like it doesn't matter how old you are. You always have that room to explore your sexuality. Um, So yeah, that makes total sense. I never thought of it that way. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there was, there was also some criticism of course, like throughout as we see the series unfold and there isn't, there isn't a lot of sex happening. Um, and that was kind of like a call, like, Oh, I want to see like more, more hooking up, more sex, like let more, more of that original flavor of the original show. Um, but yeah, I wonder if we did see that, if we did see more of that, I should say how that would be met by the audience. Cause that, yeah, that made me, I listened to, 
to another podcast and it made me kind of uncomfortable the way that they talked about the scene and they specifically talked about it as though they were watching their parents have sex like mom and dad uh, and I guess they didn't really have sex like like was just almost masturbating but they were they were kind of commenting on it through that lens and hearing that it was like well shouldn't mom and dad have sex like I don't want to watch it like (laughs) for like my personal parents of course I like that's a personal thing but like you know yeah like older people like should have sex like you shouldn't I guess what I'm trying to get at is that projection of your parents onto like two older characters in like a heteronormative relationship Mm -hmm. Um, and like, yeah, just not wanting to see them have sex because it's kind of uncomfortable if you have that projection onto them. I don't know. Yeah, no, (laughs) I I, I see what you mean. And, And to me, like, you know, we've talked about how we see the characters as aspirational, even when we were 16 watching these characters in their early thirties. And like, it's the characters that we related to. Like I, I have even now, and I watch in just like that, I don't see them. They could be old enough to be my parents if they were really young parents, but I still don't see them that way. I still see Carrie and, and Charlotte and Miranda as like my imaginary buddies. You know what I mean? Like, even though they're 20 years older than me, So, yeah, like that sort of repulsion to compare it to your parents, like 100% agreed. I don't want to see my parents having sex. However, that's, they, (laughs) do whatever makes you happy. And there's always that time to explore. And there's always that time to sort of perspectives change and things that you like changes and, yeah, that's really interesting. I, it's a it's a myth. It's a myth that older people don't have sex and are asexual or non-sexual. And I would just love to to see more media confront that myth and break it. And what other show to do that than and just like that, you know? Totally. And I think some things that I liked about the series are sort of relate. Like I like that they address like real problems that you might face at that age. Like I liked the storyline with like Carrie's hip Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I, you know, it's like these things are all part of growing older and, and like the way your friendships, your friendships might change and all that kind of stuff. Like that's why, you know, fans maybe were expecting a light like sex in the city, but that's just like not where those characters would be at. Like, I just don't believe. And maybe we'll see a little bit more of that, like going into season two. Um, But like, do you like what you want to watch? Like Charlotte and Harry have sex? Like, who cares? They're old hat. Like, (laughs) and like Carrie, you know, it's just... It's it's an unrealistic expectation, in my opinion, for a series that's showing that sort of change in a different age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fully, fully agreed. Fully agree. I really, I really like that point. They they wouldn't be having like a fun light time of their lives with where they're with where they're currently at. Yeah, they'd be asking each of their partners to masturbate in front of them for their <laughs> so that they can do better at their job. I could totally see that. <laughs> Carrie did once refer to herself as a sexual anthropologist, so maybe that's maybe that's in the the job description. 
that she wrote for herself. <laughs> um, anyway, what else do we have in this episode? We have the piano recital. Lily, the piano prodigy, has her piano recital. Uh, Charlotte pressures all of her friends into going. And we hear some some pushback from Rose, who does not want to wear the dress that Charlotte picked out. Yeah, it's I first of all, Lily is way too good at the piano. (laughs) And I think it was you that told me that the actress is actually 26. Yes, that's that that is what I heard. Perhaps we'll send that to the fact checkers to to confirm. (laughs) Actress Kathy Ayn was born in 1995 and is 26 years old. I just like I. My biggest problem with the recital was the discrepancy between Lisa Todd Wexley's kid and Charlotte's kid. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it was much too big. But anyways, Rock doesn't want to wear the dress. Um, I I loved this moment from the get-go. I loved, and it actually reminded me of my partner has a very similar story um, where she refused to wear dresses for a long time. And then when she did finally come out to her parents, and I will have to ask her to make sure this is okay to go on the air, but when she did come out to her parents, her mom bought her an iPod because, <laughs> because she's like, thanks for all the money you saved on not buying dresses. <laughs> but I could see, the, you know, being 12 years old and completely well, not completely, but confused about your gender identity and confused about these sort of very old school heteronormative um, ideals that, of course, Charlotte and Harry have pushed because that's who they are as people. Um, And I can see Rock's frustration and just kind of, I love this sort of like first glimpse into that story. And I think that, um, I think they did a pretty good job with that. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And I love how Rock um, dressed up the the dress, too, and, like, made it, made it their own. It was great. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I did love that outfit, especially for a 12-year-old. I mean, like, they're supposed to express themselves, and I don't know. And I, another thing I've noticed, too, throughout the series is I think that they've done a good job of sort of, it's been very subtle and very small moments, but I love the relationship between rock and Lily because they have these like moments of understanding each other as siblings and understanding each other in their age. If that makes sense. Like, like I love when Charlotte brings the two dresses home and, and she's like, Oh my goodness, this one's for you. And this one's for Rose. And, and Lily's just kind of like, okay, like there's absolutely no way that they're going to wear that. (laughs) And I, and I love those sort of like moments of understanding between the kids. And I think I would like to see that explored more in a second season. I would love to see like their relation kind of, their relationship kind of come more into fruition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. I didn't pick up, I didn't pick up on that upon uh, first first watch of the of the show but i i totally agree with you there's some really there's some really sweet moments there between 
between two two siblings and yeah that'd be that'd be really cool to see play out more in in a second season maybe if we say that enough times it'll come true just like yeah. the secret we have to manifest it <laughs> exactly we'll manifest that second season baby yes so transitioning as well into Miranda who of course has these like super 150% cringy moments like coming into school which people from what I've seen in the discourse like people have been critical but Shannon you had a really good point of talking about like you know we are products of our environment and we are products of the people we talk to and surround ourselves with I believe that Miranda would have this these moments or maybe not to the same degree that they are portrayed but I think she would stumble. I think it would be incredibly difficult to go back to school when you're 50. And, you know, the only people you've sort of been talking to are like Steve and your son and like other high power, like lawyers, you know, wealthy lawyers. So I, I do think, I think that this moment is a little believable, even though it's quite cringy. Oh my gosh. Yes. So Miranda returns to school and like first day of class, like makes an absolute fool of herself. And there are so many points where I was just like, stop talking, just stop talking. <laughs> like the more you talk to undo this, like, it's just, it, it's not getting better. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, you know, you think about Miranda, like being in the corporate, like lawyer world for so long. Um, yeah, just being like Steve is your main buddy to go home and debrief about the events of the world with. Like, I don't know how much how much depth is is happening, like with a conversation with one person. Right. And like there are so many there's so many lines that Miranda delivers that I think have really good intent, but are obviously like full of microaggressions and they're like very mishandled. But the, the part where she encounters Naya in the subway and she's like, I, I felt really inspired to go to JFK and like, I really wanted to use my law degree to, to help like refugee women that were like fleeing a particularly horrible circumstance. Like, I think that's actually a really good thing even though it's kind of cringy that, and she also recognized that the pink pussy hat wasn't all it was cracked up to be became like a flagrant symbol of white feminism. Like, I think she's making those connections and I just see so much like effort in, in wanting to understand and still fumbling, but like she's trying and she mm -hmm. it's, I get that going back to the theme of change, like, it would have been so easy for Miranda to remain ensconced in a corporate lawyer world, talking to a couple of different people, like not really expanding her, her worldview. Like she made a lot of money. Like she had a family, like she liked her job. Like there, there was no, there's no call for her there to change as a wealthy, privileged white woman, educated white woman, like there was no, she could have just remained where she was and that would have been fine for her life. Mm -hmm. But she, she took that effort. She's taking that effort to, to open herself up and like learn more about the world and learn more about other like social justice issues and struggles from people that are not of her privilege or class. Like she is, I just see a lot of like good intention that I think gets lost when we talk about how her character seems very Karenized. 
Um, mm-hmm. And of course, none of that is to say that making microaggressions or anything that Miranda said about Nia Wallace's hair was good. It was not. But that's also how you learn, right? Like you can't just read white fragility and Mm -hmm. say like, I'm an anti-racist now. (laughs) Like, I get it. I understand. Like, you also have to put those things into practice. And I see her trying to do that, but she's fumbling as she's doing it. And that's like really hard and uncomfortable to watch but she's trying to make that change she's trying to be a better person and use um some of what she has to like make the world a better place which is why she's back in school um so yes that feels like (laughs) a a soapbox moment but yeah i i don't know like i think there's there's some unfairness leveled at miranda here yeah, I totally see what you're saying and i think it's it's sort of that acknowledgement that you need to learn um it's not more important than the learning itself, but the acknowledgement that you need to learn and unlearn certain behaviors and, you know, listen and read and understand the perspectives of, of, from others, like that's that's a constant thing. And you're not always going to say the right thing. Um, and I And I do believe that Miranda, from the interactions we see and from how she interacts with Naya and everything like that, I do believe that that acknowledgement and intention is there. Um, I do. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think in that particular scene where she sits down in class, um, maybe they, they put it out a little bit too long or made it a little bit too much, but I totally see what you're saying in that she lived this sort of cozy life. Like they didn't have to make her character go in this direction or they didn't have to, you know, she, she didn't have to do these things, but she took it upon herself and felt inspired and is doing her darndest. So (laughs) I, I can appreciate that for sure. Yeah. And I think a real Karen is not willing to unlearn and is not willing to recognize when you've done wrong or when you've like, yeah like just when you're wrong they're they're not willing to recognize that and I don't I don't see that from Miranda I see um I see constant like recognition that that she's wrong and then like maybe like a pause would be great in between doing one wrong thing and then the next (laughs) maybe some like reflection in between but yeah I just I don't I don't think Miranda's a Karen is that a hot take I don't I don't think so. I agree with you. I am more actually somebody, oh my gosh, when, and just like that started coming out, people were sending me articles, TikToks, like everything about the series, which I, of course, absolutely eat and devour. Um, But one of them made a really good point that I actually find it more unbelievable that Miranda would be so (gasps) anti-technology. Oh my goodness, we must talk about that because holy shit, that that was the issue I, yeah, I take umbrage with. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't want to take credit for this idea um, because I did see it in a TikTok, but it makes so much perfect sense. Like Miranda was the first to have a TiVo. She was addicted to her 
you know, her like Palm rec- Pilot. Her yes. Palm Pilot. And she got laser eye surgery before it was um, normalized. And, you know, she was on top of the technology trends. Anything to make her life easier, she was on. So, why does she have this aversion to podcasts? Why does she have like, why can't she carry a Kindle or use her laptop to access PDF books? Like I, that is what I am not buying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Completely. Oh my gosh. And like, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of backpacks. I love a good backpack, but can you imagine how hefty the textbooks are for humanitarian law school that she has to carry around? Like that would hurt. That would just hurt after a while. (laughs) I don't think I could carry those around and I don't imagine she can either. (laughs) But I do think the backpack's cute. We talked about this. I love that backpack. I'm also not here for the discourse slandering Miranda's backpack. I love a good big backpack. I will wear a backpack till I die. (laughs) I'll be having sex when I'm old and wearing a (laughs) backpack. And just like that, I was having sex while wearing a backpack. <laughs> and then we discovered a very creepy fetish that nobody knew about. You know what? You could pack a lot in that backpack. There'd be a lot of tricks. <laughs> oh my God. You could carry, think of all that you could carry with you. All the lube. All the lube and your dildos. Okay. I'm getting off track now, but <laughs> we are not here for backpack slander. No. <laughs> But, Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I'm having a lot of mixed feelings. So Miranda, of course, um, I think this happens in episode two, but she does start off on the wrong foot with Naya. um, But then somehow the relationship becomes very close, which I feel like is, a, and they sort of acknowledge this when at dinner she makes an ethics joke. But I feel like it's it's sort of a weird, it is a weird, it's another weird boundary to cross. And it's it's just like not ethical in academia to have that close of a friendship with your professor. Yeah, no, I, I would feel <laughs> beyond awkward going to dinner with a, not just a professor, but a current professor. Like, I think that would be totally fine if Miranda finished up Naya's class and was like, hey, like, let's talk stuff after (laughs) like at dinner or something but yeah while you're in their class and like she still has the power to fail Miranda or you know influence her grade any which way that that does seem to be a little ethically uh gray for me but Mm -hmm. but I would love to talk about Naya because that is a new character that we are also introduced to um so we have Naya Wallace who's the a Columbia law professor. Uh, Yeah, very hot husband, very beautiful, beautiful outfits. Um, Yeah, we don't really get a lot from Naya other than some like very cutting remarks, I guess, in this, these first couple of episodes. What do you think of Naya upon meeting her? I'm, I feel, I, yeah, like literally, that's just, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think, I, f- 
feel I'm trying to like, <laughs> I'm trying to formulate an opinion based on just Naya, but I feel like I can only think of her in relation to Miranda. And I think that's a problem. Yeah. And I think that's exactly therein lies the problem is that in the first few episodes, we are introduced to Naya, but we don't really get anything other than these sort of cutting remarks. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, she seems really cool. She's obviously a person um, to be respected for her, you know, for all of her achievements. But other than that, it's like we don't get like much she doesn't get as much. <laughs> it's like how I feel with Lisa Todd Wexley. I just feel like I would like more airtime with her. I would like to get to know her, um, but I'm not even sure how they could do that without the sort of obviously existence of Miranda. I actually don't know what Naya's accomplishments are. I feel like I'm I'm being told that she is a person to be respected, but I actually don't. Yeah, it's just another case of I don't really know a whole lot about this character. But from what I see from the small like taste of an introduction that we get with her and Miranda, like I would love I would love to learn more. I, I want I want more. <laughs> I'm greedy. <laughs> we want more. We want to get to know these characters. And just like that, Big died. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk about Big's death because that was that was the punctuation point to put on the first episode if there ever was one. Oh my god! Okay, I had so many feelings. I sobbed. I I actually sobbed the both times. Well, I've now seen the first episode three times. And the first two times I did sob. I think it was very, I don't know if it's just like, cause I'm feel so connected to sex in the city and I feel so connected to the characters. I mean, I never felt that connected to big, but I felt so connected to like Carrie's pain in that moment. But then of course to have that ending where it's like, and just like that big died, it was like a complete I started laughing. <laughs> it was funny. I shrieked. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh my Lord. Like, so one thing I do like, so I have a few, I have mixed feelings as well. I don't mind that they killed big because that really just gives Carrie now, it gives her a fresh slate and like a whole <laughs> new world to explore like where she's back on the market eventually probably um so that's like really exciting and, and fun um and it also just kind of yeah it just releases her from that like happy like kind of stable maybe like marriage and stasis and you know her life is is shifting again like just a lot of change there so that's cool welcome that right off the bat um, why didn't she call the ambulance? That is my like biggest question mark from this entire scene. I loved the way she shrieked. Well, I didn't because that, that definitely, I felt something <laughs> in my heart of sadness. Mm -hmm. Um, and she ruined her wedding shoes in the water, like just holding him like that. That was all really well done, but I'm so confused. 
like, didn't she have time to call an ambulance and, you know, not have him die? Like that felt weird. I actually wasn't convinced he was dead until she said it because he still looks like he was breathing and, and alive. And like, there's a, there's a chance. Yeah. I mean, the audience, or at least I was, wasn't really sure until they said, and just like that big died. Like it, you're right. There was definitely time to call there was time to have that sort of confirmed and take him to hospital. But yeah, it, it was a bit, it was a very emotional scene, but also like a very jarring scene, like very, very odd. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that in, this death didn't seem to come out of nowhere either because we were kind of set up from the original show as well that Big had heart troubles. Like he had his angioplasty in, I think it was season five. And even earlier in this episode, I caught that he was taking some sort of nitroglycerin pill, which I was like, that seems very specific. So I looked it up and it is for, for people that have had heart surgery and like heart troubles. So there was, they were laying some groundwork there that was like, okay, this, this is kind of believable. It's not necessarily coming out of nowhere. He did have heart troubles and chose to smoke a cigar before going for a Peloton ride. So it's, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad he died. I'm glad he died, honestly. (laughs) I'm I'm also glad he died from a story perspective. I think you're absolutely right. Like, it just, it could never get back to that sort of original Sex in the City feel if they just, like, stayed together in their happiest moments that they'd ever had. Like, I think she needed that clean slate. <laughs> she did. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, from from a less stories perspective i'm also happy that this character died when he did because of course just like a few weeks after this was released there were um accusations of the actor chris noth um of committing several instances of deeply horrific sexual assaults um that date back like many 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 moons ago so uh, i'm glad that this character just disappeared disappeared yeah like there was no needing to like meddle with the rest of the the season too much like this character was already kind of like off the books and like he he was already dead like i already was moving on and now i really just don't i don't care about it totally bye bye big i like literally yeah goodbye good riddance good riddance but of course big did die and the second episode, Little Black Dress, uh, kind of, it's a bit of a bummer of an episode, but it addresses the aftermath of Big's death, um, most specifically with the funeral and dealing with the body. I will say that after Big dies and Carrie calls Miranda, Miranda shows up at Carrie's apartment and you see them in the doorway together. And then you just see the gurney in the background, like with Big's body on it, slowly <laughs> rolling. I love it. It's, it's so like funny. It's kind of campy. Like it's, I kind of love it. It's funny. I don't know. I don't know if their intention was to be funny, but 
that is how I interpreted it. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah, I was, uh, I screamed, I was crying, and then I was absolutely howling with laughter. That was... <laughs> so many big emotions here. Yes. Um, yeah, should we maybe talk about the funeral? Because that was a pretty big part of this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. Like, but first of all, who the fuck is Gloria? <laughs> Why have we never met Gloria? I felt like I, I don't know, part of my brain was deleted when she was on the screen. Because I was like, is this a really, really subtle character nod that I'm just totally not remembering from the original series like did we not see her but big like mentioned her name like did that at all happen no this is a totally new character but the way that she's being introduced is like we're supposed to know who she is and we're supposed to know that she's an important person to big yeah and then we never see her in the like she literally is only in this episode and maybe a bit in the next one but like why Why even introduce that character? Why not give us more Naya or Lisa Todd Wexley? Like, why even give... I, I cannot think of a single purpose she served. Nothing. Like, she was... I guess she was with Carrie at the meeting with the lawyer to go over the will, but Miranda was also with her. Like, why? Why? I just... I just Gloria is so confusing to me. Yeah, there was a lot of like really intentional scenes in this uh, episode too, where, you know, you, you see Stanford say like, oh, you're in my spot and I really want to sit up front. Or we see Gloria just in so many shots, like there, <laughs> not even saying anything, but just there. It feels, yeah, it felt like very strangely intentional, but without purpose. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll see Gloria come back in the second season really randomly again. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that Carrie once characterized uh, Big's office as a bunch of women in tight sweaters typing. So if this was his most treasured, you know, assistant, secretary, whatever her job title was, I kind of like that. I like that it wasn't Carrie's prediction. (laughs) True. Yeah. Um, we also, we see a little bit of Samantha through flowers. That was really sweet. I did really like that moment. I didn't understand why Carrie was so opposed to the flowers in the first place. Um, but I loved that little Samantha nod there. I thought it was quite nice. I I can definitely feel that like, you know, you might not be ready to talk yet, but you still want to like acknowledge that the love is still there. So I think that was really smart and cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Samantha absolutely would, she would do something like that. I, I fully believe. That was really nice. But uh, honestly, very needed as well because they chose the most stark art gallery imaginable. Like this was the blandest funeral. It was so, <laughs> it was so void. It was like personality. It was odd, too, because Carrie does mention a lot throughout the series, like, oh, this isn't big or that wasn't big or like this just isn't him. You know what I mean? But like, was this art gallery him? Like, I believe that big is a little bit, you know, 
I think he's a little boring, but he's not white walls, like no windows boring. He's not that boring. <laughs> he like, likes Moon River for yes. one. Yes. <laughs> that was such a missed opportunity in the conclusion of the of the last episode to play Moon River. I feel like that would have been a really sweet choice for a concluding song. 100%. But yeah, I I totally agree. Like, what if they had a funeral at a a jazz bar or something? Or, I don't know, going to the finance district. (laughs) (laughs) The stock exchange. (laughs) Maybe they could have decorated it with, like, fake Monopoly money or something like that. Some color, (laughs) something that he liked, money. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love it. But it, it was it was odd because of all that talk and also because of Carrie. I felt like that venue did not feel like Carrie and Big. It did not feel like Carrie. It it just it felt a little weird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we also see the return of the power lesbians, mm-hmm. or perhaps the return of the power lesbians. Love to see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Their outfits were fabulous. The thick mm-hmm. glasses and the like faux leather, or I'm assuming faux leather, but maybe it was real leather. Anyway, the leather shirts, the collared shirts made me feel very validated. I feel like I have that outfit. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. But yeah, it's, it's sort of this like very, and okay. What about Miranda's speech that Carrie wrote? How did you feel about that speech? What? Okay, so like you said, I understand the the hesitancy in wanting to talk and like, you know, not wanting to be the wife delivering that at a funeral. That would be incredibly hard. It, it, it's just so hard to talk at funerals in general about people that you really love and care about. So I get that. But didn't Miranda hate Big? Like, wasn't that a huge thing throughout the whole series? Like, Samantha and Charlotte, like, kind of got on board with him. But Miranda was always, like, the one holdout who critiqued Carrie for getting back together with with him and um, was really, really skeptical of, of any time Big was in Carrie's life. So it felt, like, a little peculiar that she was delivering that. But... Maybe she changed. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to say. I just wonder why Charlotte wasn't the one to deliver the message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I found yeah, I found that moment pretty weird. You're absolutely right. But I do think there is a point. Like, of course, Miranda had her many years of trouble with Big, but I do think there's a point where you just kind of have to accept your friend's partner. <laughs> you know, like she obviously had to keep putting up with him. So I think she was just like, okay, this is fine. But I still think like Charlotte has said, she always rooted for Carrie and big and she always believed in that love. So I think it would have made more sense for her to deliver that speech. But Hey, that's just me. Well, at least somebody did 
recall what a perky was. Like, I absolutely loved that Susan Sharon was brought back, looking absolutely fabulous. And she, I just really love her interaction with Carrie. Like, it's okay. I forgive you. Like, we're letting it go. It's okay. I'm here. But like, also acknowledging like how how mean Meg was to Carrie. I don't know. Susan Sharon was a breath of fresh air. I love mm-hmm. her. Oh, she's so great. And then, of course, we have the the meeting, the beginnings, the foundation of Miranda and Che, Mama Bear. Oh, <laughs> it's so crazy. Oh, my God. Oh, this whole interaction between Miranda and Che is so cringeworthy, like screaming at Che, like, I'm going to rip your fucking head off like calling them a a funeral pot pusher yeah like call it Miranda calling herself mama bear though was the most deeply offensive part like I I hate it (laughs) it seems very out of character for her it doesn't I I find it cringy in the first place but it's especially of all of them to be calling themselves that like it just seems weird. And her reaction, like this is a moment that for me seemed really out of character for Miranda. I believe that she would have been upset, but I don't think that she would have made the scene. Like she's more, she's more respectful than that. Like for the funeral itself and for Carrie as her friend. And, and it was just, it was so deeply uncomfortable for so many reasons. Yes. Yeah. I I do wonder, because we're at the same time, we're also getting like more of a, a thread, a consistent thread with Miranda's uh, troubles with alcohol. And mm-hmm. we do see her force the brother to give her a drink before they officially opened. So I do wonder if like maybe just thinking about it now, I wonder if some of that uh, difference in character could have been alcohol like motivated um, I mean that feels like a bit of a reach but <laughs> I'm, I'm just so appalled with <laughs> with that whole scene and introduction and then you know just the whole the cringe of it all like doing that with Che having that interaction with Che and then like not even five minutes later Carrie is introducing Miranda to her boss oh my gosh I I do I kind of, I do like that their relationship sort of started out in this moment of strife and misunderstanding. Um, How quickly the turnaround happened was a bit much for me. And the whole Rambo thing feels a little weird to me, but um, yeah, I guess that was sort of the beginning of the, (laughs) of that whole spiral, but it's definitely a, a weird thing to happen at a funeral. I don't know. Didn't feel like Miranda. Yeah, that's that that is a cringy Miranda moment that I absolutely cannot justify. <laughs> 100%. Okay, so we've got episode 3 when in Rome. Um, so we have Che inviting Carrie to their comedy concert. <laughs> I love your offense at this. 
what is the comedy concert like is it not is it not a comedy show like comedy concert seems weird comedy concert is not a thing that has never (laughs) been a thing I feel like this is this is somebody again like the writers don't know what a podcast is I feel like they don't know what stand-up comedy is (laughs) (laughs) very true yes oh yeah the the comedy concert just seemed like something that like I don't know, like my mom would say if she like didn't know the exact way to say something like a comedy concert. Oh, (laughs) weird. I don't know. 100%. But yeah, so Che invites Carrie to their comedy concert. And then, oh yeah, this is also the episode where they attend the reading of Big's Will with Gloria. (laughs) Gloria, of course, my favorite character. Of course, the character we all know and love and have for years, Gloria. Um, and they leave, oh my gosh, Natasha, the one, or sorry, Big left Natasha, the $1 million. And I'm, I was so excited in this episode because I was like, oh, Natasha's back. I love Natasha. Yes, yeah, this... Um... That would definitely be an uncomfortable thing to uncover during a will reading that your your husband left his ex-wife one million dollars without any acknowledgement of what that was for or why. That would definitely uh, that would raise an eyebrow for me. I would have some questions to follow up. And this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit in the episode, but let's talk about Carrie's interaction with Natasha and kind of reliving her stalking moment of season three. Um, Yeah, Carrie kind of spirals just knowing this information and feeling like she doesn't know Big anymore. So she hunts Natasha down, tries to follow her on Instagram. And I really love that we that we got to see Natasha and we actually got to see an interaction between them because it felt like it really came full circle for their relationship. Yeah, I too appreciated that sort of callback to Carrie's moment and of original stalking moment. And I believe that, especially in her time of grief, she would 100% spiral with that information and 100% like need to know and like do whatever it takes to like find Natasha. And I think that they're conversation that they have in the coffee shop is quite to me it feels very sincere um except I didn't love when Natasha says oh like he was always in love with you or whatever I feel like it's sort of like I feel like it's sort of like playing into this whole like carry it big we're meant to be together which I like I believe that they were good for each other in the end and that they deserve each other, but I don't believe in this whole like soulmate story. And I think that we should, I don't know. I, I personally kind of feel like we need to like move past that. So I think that for me, Natasha sort of like acknowledging that big was in love with Carrie all along. I didn't really, I didn't really love that. I think he did love Natasha in the beginning. Anyways, that's maybe that's my hot take, but I do believe the rest of the conversation felt very sincere. I felt like Natasha handled it like a queen. Of course she would because she is a queen. Um, And I kind of like the end where she says, like, maybe we shouldn't follow each other on Instagram because it's true. It's like there's people that you can 
sort of acknowledge, I guess, will come back or be a part of your life. Um, but they don't need to be present all the time. Yeah, like just because is something happened between the two of you like many years ago, like maybe there wasn't a sense of like healing after that. And both of you had to like do that on your own separately, but neither of you really harbor like ill will or resentment towards each other. Forgiveness, forgiveness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's nice to see that, it's nice to see that just like come to a close and like Natasha is not, she's not mad, but like also that doesn't mean that we're immediately going to be friends and we're like immediately on like the best of terms, right? Like just, we can heal, we can close this. Like, I don't think about you in any which way anymore, but I don't need to see your, your Instagram feed. I don't need to like pretend like that whole performance of being an online friend. I don't need to participate in that. And I really love her setting that boundary for herself. Mm-hmm. I love that too. But what I, wh- why didn't she take the money? She's like, oh, I didn't accept it. But like, why? I would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like a $1 million, no strings attached. Like I just personally would have thought of that as retribution for all of the money and pain spent on dental reconstructive surgery to make one tooth the same color as on my other teeth. So 100%. (laughs) But I mean, good for her. If she, she doesn't need it, then don't donate a chair to charity. That's cool. Good for you, Natasha. Strong boundaries. She knows who she is. Mm -hmm. We love it. We do. Um, Also Stanford gets go to brunch. Yes. That was such a lovely part of this episode. Like, not only getting the brunch invitation, which they kind of acknowledge is a really esteemed thing, (laughs) but he also calls Charlotte out for, yeah, for like a long history of there being like some sort of like tension between having Stanford like included in the group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's a really good scene. Um, I love when she's like, you've been talking about me in therapy because it's like, yes, because you've sort of been tormenting him for years and years. And like Stanford and Carrie's relationship and their friendship is so, so important and such a huge part of Carrie's life that like, why can't Charlotte acknowledge that? Like it, they sort of do hold, uh, like you said, like they hold the brunch in this sort of like esteemed way that it's like, I don't know. It's very weird. It feels very excluding. And, and like I said, like Stanford has just as much a part in Carrie's life as the girls. So I think that I love that he calls Charlotte out. I love it. Mm -hmm. I also love that it seems to me that Stanford is still the only character regularly accessing therapy, which We've talked about this many, many times um, together about the stunning lack of therapy on the show. And Carrie in particular has like really, really like negative views towards it. And I think this episode in particular was just such a clear scream to Carrie, go to therapy for your grief. 
walking around Central Park is not going to cut it. Like, talk to somebody, please, for the love of God, talk to somebody. Don't stalk Natasha, talk to somebody. Yeah, I think we were typing back and forth, just like, Carrie, go to therapy, Carrie, go to therapy. Because, like, especially you are in a time of crisis and you are in a time of need. So why is somebody like Stanford, I mean, like Stanford, I mean, everybody I think should 100% access therapy, but yeah, like Carrie, go to fucking therapy. (laughs) Like you totally need it. Yes, completely, completely agreed. And she's needed therapy for a long, long, long time. But in the aftermath of death of your husband is an excellent place to start. (laughs) I think so. Um, We also start to see in this episode, Miranda and Steve's relationship that we sort of see the breakdown of that. Um, Chia seeds are bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that moment. Their Sunday bar was fucking lit, though. Like, I it mean, was so lit. <laughs> that was excellent. I, yeah, like I kind of like, and I guess I can see. I mean, I haven't been in a relationship for as long as they have, but I can see the sort of comfort in that routine that we'll talk about in later episodes with Steve. But, um, sort of like. I I appreciate their life. Like you said, the Sunday bar was lit. They have, they watch confusing Danish dramas together. Like they still spend time together, which I actually think is a lot more than what a lot of couples of that age can say. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Like, I, I think this is really interesting because once again, this is the first time that we kind of see their relationship, right? Like we don't Mm -hmm. see a lot of it in the first two episodes. And in the first two episodes, we really hear Miranda kind of start to express some of that boredom and express like, I haven't had sex with Steve for a really, really long time. Or, you know, just we, we hear that dissatisfaction. So it's kind of planting the seeds for us. But it's also, that's another thing that's really hard for me to completely buy into, kind of similar to Big and Carrie being so happy and like so in love together. It's hard for me to completely believe that their relationship would have gotten to this point. And I, it, that's not that I doubt it in general. It's just from what I've seen on screen to like this moment now is it's jarring. It's really, it's difficult to process. Like I almost wish that they were just like broken up before the series even started so that we start from that point and less of that like confusion. Um, Or if that's something that was like maybe more drawn out and we saw more of that develop, I'm not sure fully if what side of the fence I'm on there, but yeah, like I just, They put so much effort in for so long and like they met on the Brooklyn bridge together. (laughs) Like they made the commitment to one another to, to invest in their marriage. It's, it's really sad that it doesn't seem to be enough for, for Miranda. It is sad, but obviously the fan base really wanted, you know, Miranda to explore a queer identity and all these things. So And, you know, if we did have the old Miranda and Steve, like, as happy as Big and Carrie, like, it wouldn't 
might not be great TV. I don't know. It might be kind of boring. <laughs> no, totally. It it would not be. And I, I love I love the queering of Miranda. That's been something that's been so debated. Or not debated, but just like, yeah, like you said, really, really yearned for in the original show. There were so many so many great opportunities for that. So I love that they're taking an opportunity here. I think that is a really interesting storyline. But yeah, I feel like by this point, I'm like catching my breath with like how much I guess has happened. And it's just really sad at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. The Sunday bar looks great. And my I love the idea of like <laughs> being comfy on a couch. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you and I... Maybe that's what we want in a relationship. We just want to sit on a couch. <laughs> and maybe by the time we're 55, that's not something that we'll want anymore. And we'll want more, but unable to articulate what more is. We just want more. And that's cool too. Yeah, 100%. Um, we also see <laughs> Charlotte in this episode as top mom. Charlotte, I love Charlotte in End Just Like That. Like, dare I say, of the three, like, she's my, I think she's my favorite. Yeah, there's some really wonderful, really wonderful character development, I think, for Charlotte in this series in particular. She's just meant to be a mom. You know, she's one of those people that, like, yes, 100%, you you need this. You need to be like a mom to, to children in the world. Absolutely. Be a mom to me. <laughs> yeah, be my mom, Charlotte. <laughs> but then that's kind of weird because it makes her feel less like the friend and more like the mom. <laughs> but she's always kind of taken that like motherly role, right? Like when we see uh, Miranda's mom die in the fourth uh, season, like Charlotte really steps up to um, to take care of of everybody around her and like organize that, right? I, I think there are some like notes of that in in the series, but I think so. And it's it is kind of cool to see because you know people might be critical of Charlotte in Sex and the City because of her goals may have seemed so different from the others, and because they may have seen it as a little more I don't know, like one like she had this sort of one path and these like very specific goals that she wanted to achieve and people may have not liked her character as much for that um but you really see that you know come true for her in this series and you really see that yes things didn't maybe look exactly how she wanted them to but she ended up she got what she want and she's fucking good at it like she is a darn good mom and like the way that she, you know, the way that she treats Lily, the way that she starts, um, you know, Rock obviously feels comfortable talking to her. Like that's already a huge step for a 12 year old. And like just having that sort of relationship and Charlotte's like willingness to learn and her wanting to understand, like I, I and I, I do believe that's true to her character. I think that she's always a character that was willing to sort of, oh, maybe not always, but a lot of the time was sort of willing to accept change and learn new things. And I, I think that she was a real standout for me in this in this season. Yes. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, not not even just like top 
mom. Like she, she's living that, but she's also such a wonderful friend to Carrie and Miranda. Like in, in this um, episode as well, we see Charlotte kind of take note that Miranda might have some, some troubles with alcohol when she discovers the, the Tito's bottles in her backpack. And she brings it up to Carrie really gently, like in the Uber ride on the way home from Shay's comedy concert in a really attentive and sweet way um and she yeah she's just she's a wonderful wife as well i'm assuming like very her and harry's relationship seems really great she just seems like yeah she's really come into her own and i love that she is such she's such a compassionate supportive friend and mom and person too to everyone around her it's really it's needed and i love what you said too about her feeling so close to her character in the show um i so agree this is just like an extension of of who she was yeah Mm -hmm. accepting that change (laughs) yeah charlotte definitely has a lot of change thrown at her like charlotte's the kind of character i think that we're introduced to like you said she she wants all of those boxes checked she wants like to find a husband who is this and that and she wants to become a full-time mom she wants to get like the house in connecticut she she wants to do all of those things and when she's thrown curveballs like with trey and with harry and even with um with getting pregnant she there's a lot of strength and resiliency in how she approaches all of those challenges and how she she really makes herself open and adaptable to change which is Mm -hmm. really cool. And we see that too a little bit in this episode where um, Rock is navigating some gender dysphoria and Charlotte's kind of processing that, but also wanting to be supportive and acknowledge that, you know, this might not be a, a fleeting thing to just kind of like not pay attention to. This is something that, yeah, that that deserves attention and deserves support, which is really cool. Yeah, you really see her pay attention to the details, which I think is so true to her character and really reflective of what a great friend and person she is. So, mm-hmm. love Charlotte. <laughs> Agreed. And just an aside, I absolutely love that Anthony has a sourdough business called Hot Fellas. That feels extremely true to character. <laughs> I love that. I love that little, again, with the COVID sort of callback, you know, it's sort of this post-COVID world. But I love it. it has sort of has that reference to, you know, everybody started baking bread during Oh, I can't even keep track. One of the waves of the pandemic, but yeah, I, I love it. And it's, it's so fitting for his character. Like it's just, it makes sense. I believe 100% that this would be successful. <laughs> so I'm so happy for him. Anthony does really shine in this, in this season as well. He absolutely does. That's another invitation to brunch that I was so, um, I, I was just, I loved it. I loved it so much. And Anthony really adds a lot of wit and a lot of levity to the show that in a way that's so needed and so appreciated. Like all of his, well, not all of his, but most of his like zingers or like one-liners are just so, they're just so good. 
It's almost like he serves in these moments a little bit as a Samantha substitute. Like I think he, yeah, he totally has that. um, Yeah. Like the one liners and he totally just has that presence. And yeah, I, I think he loved him in this. Yes. Yeah. Renewed appreciation for both Charlotte and Anthony, I must say. Mm hmm. Okay, so moving right along to episode four, <laughs> um, some of my best friends. So I I really love that this episode uh, shines a bit more of a light on Charlotte and Lisa Todd Wexley's friendship. That really is kind of a central storyline in this episode. So we start with them grabbing lattes um, with non-fat milk, which... <laughs> I was sort of appalled. I feel like non-fat milk is very, like, early 2000s. And where is the oat milk? Yeah, like, Charlotte seems like somebody who's very, like, attuned to what's hot, what's trendy, what's healthy, what's best for the environment, best for your body. I feel like Charlotte would be all about plant-based milk. 100%. So I was a little offended at that. But other than that, love this scene of them like grabbing lattes together, being moms. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I really, I, I liked how they explored. I liked how they explored their friendship. And they also kind of explored some, some racial themes in in a subtle way. And of course, like Lisa Todd Wexley still didn't get a lot of a storyline in this episode, like more so than any other episodes, because we see more of her. But I really, I enjoyed this idea of Charlotte kind of like trying to plan a dinner party and then being very concerned that she would only have one couple of color at the dinner party and then that might make feel make Lisa Todd Wexley feel alone or yeah alone alone in that um so she really just like tries to find anybody um and she asks like this one person who's a person of color but also somebody that she doesn't like and (laughs) says kind of like uncomfortable things to Charlotte right off the bat in the episode. And I just Mm -hmm. like how they explored that that's, I get Charlotte's intent, but that's just like such, that's the wrong way to go about making friends, right? Like her relationship and her friendship with LTW is genuine and true. And like, they're, they're really there for each other. Like that's based on them liking each other. It's not just based on like, who can I add to my dinner party circle? So I have a diverse group of friends. Like it's not as superficial and shallow like that. Yeah, totally agreed. <laughs> it feels a little, it's pretty uncomfortable, but yeah, I do believe that their friendship is so strong and so like based in reality that, yeah, I don't know. I guess I could see Charlotte becoming kind of nervous about that. I love the idea, you know, because we've thought of these friends and we've thought of friendship as being this thing that is sort of, um, it's sort of like, oh, your best friends are the ones that you've had the longest, but like, kind of like we talked about earlier, like 
Charlotte, she's still navigating the waters of a new friendship in, in her early 50s. And I could see how that, whatever your reasons may be, like I could see how that would be nerve wracking in general um, to like have a dinner party, especially the extent these dinner parties go to. <laughs> I was astounded. I was like, wow, like I'll cook dinner for my friends, but it's never anything like that. But I guess I'm not uh, married to a wealthy divorce lawyer <laughs> in my early fifties. So maybe that'll change, but I can appreciate that sort of like nervousness of making a new friend and wanting to make the, the right impression, but sort of going about it in this uncomfortable and, and weird way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree with that. And I, I really love that that dinner party that Charlotte was throwing does not happen. And instead LTW throws a different party. Um, yeah. Cause Charlotte like going up to her neighbor that she hasn't talked to in two years oh and gosh. really like trying to force her to come to dinner in a couple of days. Like that was super cringy. That was, I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch at that point. That was like, Oh, through my fingers moment. That was definitely one of the top cringe moments for me. Yes, agreed. <laughs> but yeah, at um, at LTW's party, another thing that I really loved about this was that Charlotte got to shine her art knowledge and really contributed a lot to, I, I mean, it, it served an important point for LTW and like her relationship with her mother-in-law, but it was just so nice too that like Charlotte, her knowledge of of modern art and up and coming artists or established artists, like is still really, really sharp. And that was, I don't know. It's cool. I loved that callback too. And it's like, yeah, Charlotte does really shine in the series as a mother and a, and a good friend, but we can't forget about who she's been in the past and, and who she is and what she cares about. And I think that was done so well, like that, dinner scene definitely started out uncomfortable as, as it would, but I, you're right. Like she really came into her own there and really like was such a shining star. And I, I loved that too. It felt so good. Like I just felt like my heart, like grow 10 sizes, like watching that. I loved it. Yes. Yeah. I also love that when when they ask Charlotte what she does, she says, I'm a full-time mom. Mm -hmm. And I, there, I mean, I'm obviously not a mom myself, but I've been reading thoughts on calling like yourself a stay at home mom versus like other ways to refer to yourself. And I just thought that like a full-time mom is there's something about that phrasing that seems really respectful and then also just calls like how much attention or it calls a lot of attention to how much work it actually is to to be a mom like you're not just staying at home all day like doing nothing like there's a lot of work that charlotte like pours into her children's lives to like enrich them and to make her home life like so wonderful and valuable um so i just i don't know it seems like a really small thing but I, I just really loved that phrasing. I'm a full-time mom. No, I totally agree. I almost would argue, though, that being a mom is more than a full-time job. Like, it's like a 24-hour, seven days a week kind of job in my mind. But And I think 
for moms, but I also am not a mom. But yeah, I do love that sort of like giving it that sort of same respect that a full-time job, because sometimes there's this discrepancy in it. And like you said, like a stay-at-home mom, I mean, it shouldn't because there is a ton of work and things that can be done at home or have to be done at home. Like there is so much that goes into homemaking in general. Um, But yeah, it sort of like elevates it to have the same quote unquote respect that a full-time job has, which is really, really nice. That was a really nice little phrasing that was a really good catch. Yeah. And and she also says it was such confidence too in a way that also is a little bit of a callback because we know that Charlotte really struggled with the decision to to quit her full-time job to to want to start a family and you know do put more work and effort into into that part of her life and it's cool that she answers that now just like yeah I'm a full-time mom like there's no there's no second guessing on her part like that is genuinely something she wants to do she loves doing it and yeah, I support it. I love it. Yeah, it was very nice. Um, in this episode as well, we meet Louisa, who is like, I don't know. I kind of think she's the worst. I don't like her. <laughs> I, don't, I, I want to like her. I really want to like her. But I just, I don't know if I feel like such a carry right now like am I just being an old fogey where I'm like I don't think she should talk to Miranda like that well it, it kind of comes off as being flippant right like the way so Louisa is Brady's girlfriend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who seemingly just is never not at the Brady Hobbs residence um but it just seems like Louisa's interactions with Miranda are quite flippant like I believe in this episode, um, she makes a comment about Miranda, like being old and needing like some sort of like enriched calcium supplement because she's so old or just like her aging bones. Yes. Yeah. That the aging full bones. fat yogurt is better for aging bones. I remember it specifically because I have, I am anti no fat <laughs> <laughs> and she's not wrong. I will say Louisa is not wrong here, but you're right. Like the, it's just, it's very flippant and it's a very disrespectful attitude. And it seems odd because Miranda even mentions, she's like, we like Louisa so much. So we let her stay over and we let them have sex and whatever. But Louisa, so like, she doesn't sort of show that same respect back to her and it bothers me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really it. Like, it just kind of seems like, yeah, she's not as respectful like back to Miranda and Miranda's like using her Amazon account to like buy shit for Louisa and Brady and yeah like Louisa's allowed to stay there and like I'm assuming treat their home like it's her home which is really really cool um but yeah she just I don't like the attitude what I what I will say though is Miranda seems to be a sex positive parent and while I cringe at the thought of Brady and Louisa having sex, like, and shaking the physical wall that Miranda and Steve are on the other side, I love that Miranda doesn't discourage that. And it's just like, if you're going to do it, I'd rather you do it in the house and it's safe. You need a condom, snacks, Sunday bar. <laughs> the best Sunday bar in town. Yeah. yeah, I can. And that does seem true to character. Like, I think... 
I think any of these moms would be like, here's your condoms, here's your lubes, take your lubes, <laughs> take whatever <laughs> you need. Like, I, I think that that is, that's true. But yeah, I, I do th- like try to be a little bit quieter. I'm sorry. I don't even think they're trying. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I've got some some stuff to some bias to confront in myself, but that just seems <laughs> like I would feel real awkward doing that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Totally. Um, in this episode too, we also get to meet Seema, the uh, honestly my favorite new character. I have to say, I fucking love Seema. Carrie decides to sell her old apartment, and Seema is the fabulous renowned realtor who's going to help her do that. And Seema is fabulous. Her suits, her voice, her powerful presence. I love Seema. I was like instantly entranced by her. Yes. She, she also has some really great like one liners. She's so, she just, she has a very commanding presence. I feel like a very soft, but commanding presence. I'm here for it. 100%. dinner between Miranda and Naya. Yeah. That dinner, I I find it weird that they would even go out to dinner. I agree. Completely agree. I can appreciate that after the Chucky moment in the previous episode that they would sort of have this newfound respect for each other. I kind of would have liked to see Miranda more in the classroom interacting with Naya or like going to her office hours. I was actually kind of excited to see Miranda back in school, but other than like the one moment and, you know, we see her carrying her books around and stuff. We don't really see that. And, and we see their friendship sort of start to really develop over this dinner which I just find kind of like, like I said earlier, like it's just kind of unethical and it's just, it just, and they sort of address that, like they make a joke about it, but I, I don't know. I would have liked them to explore on a more academic basis. I don't know. Does that, does that sound silly? I feel like what I'm saying sounds kind of silly. No, not at all. Like if you're okay. So the premise of this, dinner that Miranda and Naya go out to is that Miranda was making some interesting points in a seminar about uh, working and motherhood and that piques Naya's interest to somebody who's currently uh, pursuing in vitro um, treatments. But would you go out to dinner with your student or would you just say, Hey, hold up after class. I want to pick your brain a little bit more about what you said. Like, I think the context is really weird to, to transition that to like, Hey, yeah, let's go out for dinner. Um, versus an actual professorial relationship where it would probably just be in class or it'd probably be in Naya's office afterwards. Like it would be at school. There's just no reason to take that that relationship outside of that context. I think like my, so I love Naya and I, I think actually she has really great chemistry with Miranda, like as two characters, but I just don't love how they set up 
their friendship as like teacher and student uh, that started off on the wrong foot and then like magically all of a sudden are like quite close and like have so much to to talk about. Like I, I would have loved to have seen their relationship established, I guess, in in a different way. Like I would love to see them as colleagues. They're both professors of law at Columbia and maybe they still start off on the wrong foot, but like I could see that transitioning more to like a closer friendship and going out to dinner and like hanging out a lot. Um, yeah, like, or even, you know, starting a nonprofit together, like doing humanitarian work together. Like maybe Miranda really wants to, yeah, to to engage in that. And Naya is also like on a board of some nonprofit or something. Like, I don't know. I just, I wish that the context was a little bit different because mm-hmm. um, that would make me, that would make me buy this a little bit more, I guess. But yeah, I agree with you. There's like some weird ethics going on as professor and student that are still in class together. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I have a hard time like stretching my imagination to believe that, but Hey, that's what they did. <laughs> but I like what you said too, like w- that they, I do feel that chemistry between them as characters. It's just, yeah, the context is a bit off, but. Yeah. And I, I do really appreciate this conversation that they have at dinner. It like, it is a really interesting conversation. And, and the first time I watched it, I was like, I think I just read it the wrong way. And the second time I was like, oh, like, this is like, this is pretty interesting, actually. Like, the way that they're navigating it with like their law language and making a case for motherhood or against motherhood. And um, it's not, it's not that simple. It's not like a yes or no sort of answer. And I really loved some of the things that Miranda said about like, you're always going to regret things. You're always going to regret the things you don't do. There's so many paths to take. You can have everything, but it's really, really hard. I believe that. I fully fucking believe that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't know. I thought this was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I I do think the conversation overall was was interesting and brought up some good points. I like that sort of I mean, <laughs> that sort of conversation where you you know, you again, change. It's like you acknowledge <laughs> that things change and and you acknowledge that you may not always feel the right way or you, or you may not always feel like you made the right decision um and that I, it seems so depressing almost to think about in a way i think it's depressing but also a little bit freeing to realize that things will change and that you will always think about the things you didn't do or things that you could have done differently or anything like that um and I think that's a feeling that sticks with you probably for most of your life, if not all. So, yeah, I appreciate that they didn't, you know, of course, make Miranda like 100 percent one way or the other. Like, oh, yeah, I regret having a child or it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like, is she's very some days are better than others. Like, you know, when I come home and some days it's the best thing ever, but then I find his underwear on the floor and it's, and it's the worst. And it's, that's what life is. Like we go through life and we aren't always going to be happy with the choices we've made, but it's a very real part of life. So I do appreciate that conversation, even if a bit out of context, but yeah, it, it was, it was well done, I think. 
Yeah, there is like some, I think some really important nuances too that they discussed about motherhood in particular that are just important to cover. Like there's this idea that Naya kind of alludes to that like you're being fed like from every direction that like motherhood is the thing you're supposed to want. Like it's going to be worth it. It's all going to pay off. Like you're going to be so happy, so glad for it. And I love that Miranda's like, there are some times that I do just want to come home to an empty house. And like, I really, I think about that life and just acknowledging that, you know, it's not just because you make that decision. And if you really, if you really want that, if you really want to pursue that, it's not always going to feel that way all of the time. It's still work. And there are absolutely going to be times where it's difficult or frustrating or even just like what if I had done this like totally other thing like what would my life have been like um yeah and just yeah like I said in the context of motherhood I think that that's a really that's really important to acknowledge discuss yeah totally not being a mother myself but (laughs) yes as as a bit of an outsider (laughs) to, to that um yeah Agreed. I don't even have a dog to mother. (laughs) Oh my God. But if I ever call myself a dog mom, please just throw a drink in my face a la Samantha. (laughs) Because I can't. I can't. I don't like it. (laughs) What about a dog mama? A mama dog? A mama dog. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No. I'll I'll get that in like a nice script on a mug for you. So <laughs> Wow, now I look now I know what I'm looking forward to for my birthday. Yes. <laughs> um but yeah, what else happens in this episode? Oh, Carrie gets the ashes, of course, and tucks them away until she knows what to do with them. Yes. Bit of a foreshadow. Yeah, bit of a foreshadow. I love, this is in a few episodes later, but she's like, he's beside my favorite shoes. <laughs> I do kind of like that moment. Um, but yeah, we see that foreshadowing there. And we see the beginnings of Carrie and Seema, of course. We see the beginnings of their relationship. Um, and Carrie, of course, gets very mad at Seema when she breaks that personal photo that apparently Big had his paws all over every night. <laughs> and i can i can totally appreciate here like carrie grieving and sort of overreacting about something but there was something about that line where she's like he touched this with his hands like all the time i was like who is just stroking their photo frames like each night before bed like i was just like what yeah that was a classic carrie overreaction that Mm -hmm. was it was a bit cringy, honestly. It's like, what are like, what are you so upset about? Oh my gosh, you still have the picture. And also you have the frame. Who touches just the glass? Like, she was so upset about the glass being shattered. And like, the frame is still good. Like, he probably, if anything, touched the frame. Like, who just strokes their hands over the glass of a picture in like fond memory of it? Like, I don't know. That seemed, it seemed a little bit unreasonable. But like you said, she... She's in the throes of grief. Perhaps that 
aggravated that a bit. But I do really love that this is kind of a moment where Seema also calls Carrie out for a comment that she made that Seema just like also didn't really appreciate and didn't make her feel very good. And I love that there there was just that that two way that two way understanding and like calling each other out. Mm-hmm. It yeah, this is to me is a really like believable moment of a foundation of a strong friendship. Like just that sort of, that sort of like understanding of each other and not getting, you know, like Seema calls her out and, and not getting to like, she taking it personally, obviously, but kind of like taking it as like feedback and like, and like helping her kind of be more self-aware. So yeah, I, Seema is a queen. I think she's great. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Every time I see Seema, I'm like, oh, more. <laughs> more, I love you. Oh my gosh, 100%. Episode five, The Hip Break. The hip break. Tragically hip. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, this seems like a pretty pivotal episode. I fully agree. And actually, I think it's one of the most entertaining episodes of the entire series. This is probably like for for many reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right up there with. Um, yeah, it's got a lot going for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Obviously, Rose coming out as rock on TikTok is a huge moment. And although I wonder why did rock not tell Charlotte and Harry? Because they do seem to have a close relationship with Charlotte, especially. I just find it a bit weird that they came out on TikTok and didn't. I don't know why. I just I was kind of fully believing in this like closeness of the family Um, And especially for like wanting to be appreciated for who they are at home. I don't know. I I feel like they would have talked to Charlotte and Harry as well as the school. Like if I like if I were Charlotte, I, of course, would be a little bit shocked to find out, you know, this from your especially from. uh, Oh, my God. What was her name? The one that she doesn't like with the the Joff as a husband. Yeah, Deirdre. Like, especially to hear that from Deirdre, like how upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think what I'm, what, what I'm confused about most with this part of the story is that the school didn't tell Charlotte and Harry and like, I can, I can actually, like, I can see Rock feeling uncomfortable directly coming out to Charlotte and Harry because saying something like that to your parents of, like, I don't want to be called Rose anymore. I want to be Rock. Like, I want to, I want to use different pronouns. Like, I, I don't identify as, as a girl. Like, I want to different, want to no labels, do something different. That when you come out to your parents like that or when you say that to your parents, I think there's a sense of, like, there's this like heavier sense to it of like being um, 
like almost like official, I guess, is is a way to think about it. But when you're trying it out at school, when you're like on TikTok about it, you mean kind of like a funny rap, like it's something that you can maybe more safely explore without that like seriousness of your parents getting involved. Seri- I think serious is a better word, actually. Um, yeah, it feels very serious to like say that to your parents and maybe rock like just felt like more comfortable and safe, like exploring that first in different environments before before saying that to their parents. However, I will say the expectation that Charlotte and Harry would have picked that up from a TikTok that they posted. <laughs> <laughs> like that, I feel I feel like no, there there needs to be like more of a conversation. Like <laughs> even mean- if Oh, sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say, does that mean that Charlotte and Harry have TikTok? And if so, what are they posting? No, they do. Like Charlotte said, I I try to watch all of your TikToks and I, I just like missed that one or something like that. So I think like Charlotte does have, she probably has like burner accounts or something that she just uses to follow her children. But yeah, like to expect that your parents are going to pick that up from a TikTok that you post is like, I think a little like a touch unreasonable, especially if you're at school and I'm assuming like you're telling your teachers like, Hey, like call me, uh, call me rock. Like I want to use these pronouns. Like I want to be this person, like in the school play, like that is a little more direct, you know, than what they expected their parents to pick up from a TikTok. So that was a little weird. And then the school, like not telling Harry and Charlotte, I also felt was a bit peculiar like there had to be this big meeting called and kind of a misunderstanding of how supportive charlotte and harry were (laughs) like the school was misunderstanding of how supportive they actually were um Mm -hmm. yeah i just i feel like that would have been i feel like that might have been an opportunity for everybody to get on the same page there was a lot of like miscommunication here and confusion but um yeah as there is when you're 12 years old (laughs) in general. So, yeah. And I think there is something to be said. I like what you said about how it might feel a little more serious coming out to your parents. Cause I've definitely like about talking, like with talking about my own queer experiences and like those of my queer friends with the whole like coming out saga, it definitely is easier to just tell someone that you don't really know that well, or to tell the internet you know, like through a TikTok or, um, you know, to tell an audience that you're actually not familiar with necessarily. Like, and I, even with on other levels, like I do streaming on Twitch as well. And even to just like, for some reason, sharing experiences is just easier when you actually can't see the person in front of you. So you're right. That totally makes sense that having that sort of more like serious, like sit down conversation with Charlotte and Harry would have possibly been too much for them mm-hmm. but like a tiktok like i mean i'd be send your mom the tiktok say like hey please watch this <laughs> yeah like copy that link like yeah <laughs> send her the dm <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's true it's true i do like i we also see Charlotte and Harry kind of struggle to be supportive and like we, we see them like kind of understandably, I think upset that they seem to be the last people to know about this. And I don't get that their struggle to be supportive is that they completely misunderstand the situation. I think it's just changes. They're, they're struggling to 
to acknowledge that this the their child that they thought they knew is is changing and you know not yeah just not who not who they thought they were and yeah they're exploring they're exploring different different facets of their identity and that's changing so and charlotte of course is an expectations person like she has these goals and she works very hard to like live her perfect life or whatever and and she got you know in her mind her beautiful daughters and and she's happy with that so yes that is a big adjustment but i do think overall you know she takes it with grace and and of course like you said is upset when she's like well why were we the last to know but charlotte like dives in full amazing supportive like she's just kind of continues to show her like power mom here Mm -hmm. and I really love it Mm -hmm. let's jump in to Carrie getting hip surgery I love it I do too it makes a lot it makes a lot of sense I know they don't explain it this way, but like Carrie wore heels for like her entire life, <laughs> seemingly. Like that does fuck up your feet. That fucks up your that fucks up how you walk and and stuff. So I I can see that too. But Seema is an amazing friend for immediately like narrowing in on that and getting her to a doctor same day. That's incredible. Incredible same, friendship. Like- time of day like I'm pretty sure it was morning and she got her in in like two hours like she was at that doctor's office I guess it pays to have a cousin who is uh I don't even remember (laughs) is it a foot doctor no because it's not a idiot is it a hip doctor (laughs) I don't yeah some a hip doctor is that a thing oh man I feel so silly right now but yes, no, to get Carrie in so quickly was so amazing. And not only like Seema getting her in, what I really noticed in this episode was the friends taking care of her. Like, of course, Charlotte again, like she pulls out the calendar on her iPad and is like, okay, this is like our schedule for when we are going to take care of her and pick her up and be with her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's sort of like, And I mean, of course, these exist in friendships, but it sort of, again, like brings that friendship up to the level of like marriage or up to the level of like partnership. It's like these people are there for her in a way that is just so like sincere and and, like they're putting a lot of care and work into taking care of Carrie. And I think that you for people that you truly love, you do that. And I love to see those. I mean, obviously Miranda fucks up a bit, just a little bit, but um, we see that sort of like those strong moments of like, we are here for you, at least in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Like when you think about like, what friend would I want to help me pee if I couldn't do it by myself? Like, (laughs) I want Charlotte. Like, (laughs) There is no second second guessing that um, that question, but that like yeah, just like what friends are going to be there to take care of you in the way that you need to be taken care of, and I love that all of them at least try to step up. Like Miranda, like we said, kind of 
also drops the ball a little bit, but I, I love that Anthony uses the hot fellas guys to lift Carrie back to her apartment. I just really loved that whole scene. I thought that was quite funny. Um, the baby Jane reference, uh, yes. getting, I'm not going to lift you like I'll throw out my hernia. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really great too. Yeah, I did really love that. Um, yeah, Miranda and Che. I, when I was watching this, I was like, I would be so fucking mad. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, Carrie had, I would be more irate than Carrie was. And Carrie was pretty irate. Yeah, I would be, I'd be fucking pissed. But like, I, I would also just like, <clears throat> like, I would just, you know, make some kind of noise to let them know, or at least try to do that. It felt like she was trying to be like very, very quiet and like do that ar- around them. Mm-hmm. But what an awkward thing to wake up to, like hearing two people have sex in your kitchen and like, you can't move like, oh my gosh, that would, yeah. And not only situation. two people, your boss. And your best friend, I just married, Ah! married. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I do love, like, it's very, and like, I, I felt like Miranda's reaction was pretty good. Like she was kind of like giggly and nervous and uncomfortable. Like I get that sort of like not knowing how to treat your friend after that. Um, But I loved when she like sort of had her breakdown moment and was sort of like told Carrie and she tells Carrie like I'm unhappy and like I don't want to be in my marriage anymore and Carrie and she's like how do like what do I say and Carrie basically says you say exactly that like that moment that little like breakdown moment was my favorite part of that scene it felt like a real like that felt like a real breakthrough for the series and just kind of a breakthrough for so much of that buildup that we have seen in the past few episodes. It, it really came to a head there and I really loved, yeah, I, I also really loved that scene. I loved just the way Cynthia Nixon acted that whole scene too. It was so, oh, it was so compelling. Emmy, right there. <laughs> Give her the Emmy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, there's so, they, just the way that she conveyed, like, I'm unhappy and, like, you know, almost kind of, like, spiraling, like, I don't know what to do, like, I know that, it's like, she can recognize that, yeah, she's drinking too much and, like, things need to change and she feels, like, really stuck, like, it just felt all of that shit needed to be said and mm-hmm. it felt really good to to watch that and to hear that actually being said. Yeah, totally. It was a scene that was definitely uncomfortable, but it needed to happen in one way or another, I guess. Miranda also needed to get fucked really good because it sounds like it's been a while. (laughs) I'm also quite worried. Like, if that was the best orgasm that she's ever had, like, (laughs) what about poor Steve? Like, oh, poor Steve. Or Robert Leeds? Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. I recall someone taking a personal day just to have sex with Dr. Robert Leeds all day. So. 
It's yeah, it's what does Charlotte say in another episode? Something she's like, You got all of that from a finger. A finger made you feel alive. Yeah, oh, yeah, a finger made you <laughs> so good. Oh, it's so good. It but yeah. Think of Samantha and Maria and Samantha saying, I've got five dicks. <laughs> and she makes that motion and she's like, this. Like, I could, like, tap the mic to imitate the motion, but it's like, this is not the same as this. <laughs> and she like, oh, my God, it's so funny. Ugh, we miss Samantha. Of course. We all do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, well, I think that's kind of it for the first five episodes. We're going to do another <laughs> This was supposed to be a mini-sode, but obviously we have a lot to say about And Just Like That. So we're going to put the next five episodes into a new podcast episode. Um, But first, let's talk about our top three cringe moments. Yes. So for me, I think Miranda yelling at Che that she's a mama bear (laughs) is top. That whole fight, honestly... At the at the funeral is the top a top cringe for me. Yeah, I would have to agree, and <laughs> I just everything about it is so uncomfortable. Um, but also, so another cringe moment was Charlotte pressuring the poor Jenkins. Oh my gosh! And just like, please come to dinner. That was one of the worst <laughs> for sure. That was some serious, like, white lady bullshit. Like, I'm I'm going to text you, and I know that you said no, but I'm going to walk away, and then you can think about it, and then text me again if you're really, really sure. Like, it was so, ooh, so gross, so the uncomfortable. audacity, yes, 100%. And she's trying to sugarcoat it, too. Like, oh, my gosh, I love that sweater. <laughs> And I, I can't remember the first name of the neighbor. I just know that their last name was Jenkins, but she's just like, it's J. Crew. <laughs> she wasn't buying into any more of that of that bullshit. But yeah, that was horrible to watch. One hundred percent. Um, yeah, and I think another top cringe moment is Miranda's first day of school. Like, ooh, just I think it's particularly cringy just thinking about how awkward the first day of school is in university in general and how that would, I imagine that that would be quite amplified if you're coming back as like a mature student and like the classroom is full of young people. And um, it's just, it's awkward in general to like sit with a bunch of people you don't know. And then like everything that comes out of her mouth after that is just like, stop talking just stop it oh my gosh stop this train wreck please I totally would have loved to see like a redemption scene for Miranda like I would have liked to see the scene that they talked about that apparently she said something very poignant about motherhood or whatever I would have liked to see that scene yeah, I, I really love that. And I think you mentioned earlier too, like I want to see more of Miranda in school and like doing like great things in school. I totally agree. That would have been a great moment too, to redeem her a little bit <laughs> on camera. Yeah, and it was like such a big plot point. Like it was like, you know, really hammered on in the first episode. Like 
Miranda has sort of have reinvigorated this like need for true justice or whatever. So she goes back to school and, and then it's like, it kind of, of course, all becomes about Che, which is like fine. I get it. But also one more school scene. Like I would have, yeah, just one more. <laughs> mm-hmm. One more good school scene. Mm-hmm. I, I Until this point, I, I just can't believe that Miranda's having a great time at school because I haven't seen it. <laughs> no. And she says something along the, like, when Charlotte asks her, like, oh, how's school going? When she's sort of trying to push for anything that might be an indicator of alcohol addiction. And and Char- or Miranda says, now that I know everyone's pronouns, like, fine and great. And I don't find that, like, very, like, I, I guess I can sort of appreciate, like, her trying to be a little cheeky and, like, a little funny here. But at the same time, I don't really believe that like, I believe that school would be fucking difficult and hard and that you would want to talk about it with your friend. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like my, so my ex, my ex's mother returned to school after like a full career, like, um, and returned to school to pursue a different career path, um, that she had been really passionate about and obviously returned as a mature student, um, and actually, at the same time that we were also entering university, um, there's some shared classes. But yeah, like it, it is hard. It like I remember some of the things that like she would share is just like it, you you have like a, a sense of like wisdom and experience that you bring because you've done this before. You know, like you're you're a little bit more sure of yourself in in certain ways. But like. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get easier navigating the dynamics of a classroom with like full of students or like even the schoolwork can be like quite difficult and like wrapping your head around that or like balancing that with your family and stuff like all of that takes a lot of work and it is really tough. Yeah, 100%. Well, of course, we loved the series and had some favorite moments as well. So what are your favorite moments, Shannon? I loved Carrie coming out of her old brownstone with her c- c- curly hair and wearing a, a giant white tutu that felt like a bit of a reference to the original tutu that she wears in the title cards. Um, mm-hmm. It just felt like, oh, I missed you. Like a familiar character. I also love, I think it's at the end of episode two or three where she goes back to the apartment yes I thought that was a strong ending and it's just it's so perfect I loved that too basically anything with her apartment (laughs) I also have to say I am so happy that she did whatever third renovation she had to do to get rid of that horrible shit that she did in the first movie (laughs) like I'm haunted by that one piece of word art on the wall (laughs) that looked like a patchwork love in like <laughs> in weird like jokerman font like <laughs> oh my I'm God. i have to look it up i don't remember but it <laughs> truly sounds terrible it sounds of its time um i think another one that we both loved of course was charlotte discussing the art at ltw's dinner party i think that was a really standout moment for her and such a nice callback 
Mm-hmm. And I loved seeing the art too. Like every time they panned to like this piece that Charlotte was talking about, it was like, oh my gosh, I just, I want, I want to know more. I want to know more about LTW's incredible art collection. This looks amazing. Totally. Um, and what else? Um, I think we also just really loved like the introduction of of new characters and new brunch invitees, like Anthony and Stanford in particular. And you know, in later episodes, we'll also see Seema come to brunch as well. Um, I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting, but yeah, it just seemed like very fresh and and nice to mix things up a little bit. I love that too. It kind of makes me think about my book club, actually, when we first started, it was very much like friendship club, which sounds really silly, but it was like, we were so close and we became very close friends through it. But, um, but it was really once we started adding other close friends to the group and kind of like welcoming people in that it actually sort of grew to be this like dynamic group of people with different voices and interesting perspectives. So I kind of like that, like shattering of the, you know, the high exclusivity of the brunch club that they sort of address with Stanford, of course, because it's, it's true. It's like, of course you could have your best friends and that's okay, but the world is better and more interesting when you start bringing other people in. So yeah, I think that's a really good, really good moments throughout the series. Agreed. Agreed. And we need Anthony's levity. We, and we need the sourdough. We need Maybe. both kinds of levity. <laughs> it's a bread it. joke. <laughs> I'm not good at bread jokes. I'm celiac. <laughs> uh, I love it. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you feel so inclined, DM us a post-it note. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Don't Hate Us Pod. And we will see y'all next time.